Luke chapter number four. Can we go there, please? We've been taking time to go through the book of Luke. And of course, one of the things we know about the book of Luke, Luke and Acts are two of the largest books in our New Testament written by the same individual, a physician named Luke. Luke definitely did a lot of investigation. Much As much as 60% of what is said in the book of Luke is unique to him. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and, and John do not mention the same things. And uh, he, of course, studied greatly upon uh, the life of Zacharias, Elizabeth, and John the Baptist and his ministry. And then the early days of the Lord Jesus Christ, his birth and his trip uh, that, he, uh, that he takes in different places. Now he has come to the place, and when the Lord Jesus, in our last chapter, he gives the lineage of, of his, of his um, racial lineage with, from all the way from Adam to Abraham, his spiritual lineage from Abraham to David, and his royal lineage from David all the way in to Mary. And he is mentioned as the son of man oftentimes, and he was 100% God and 100% man the entire time. He didn't become God when he came, he always was God, and he took upon a human form uh, at the birth uh, of, uh, uh, in Bethlehem there. And we believe he has a human form as we speak, but he's with the Father in heaven waiting to come back and pick us up and take us to be with him forever. We'll be with the Lord. We have his word on it, and I'm thankful for that. But the book of Luke shares with us some definite insights that can help us. Jesus now is 30 years old, and uh, he has been working in a carpenter shop, but he didn't come to the world to work with wood. That's not why he came. He didn't come to work and uh, make tables and chairs and pulpits and, and uh, hang, hang uh, doors and cabinets and frame houses. He didn't come to work with wood. He came to give his life a ransom for you and I. He came to die so that we could live. He came to pay the price of sin for you and I. His second reason for coming was to train 12, to get into the hearts and minds and, and wills of 12 men. And one of the reasons that we have uh, a church is not just to teach the gospel, but to teach people who know the gospel to be discipled and to go on to serve the Lord. I'd like to just say this. You have one more week in which you can involve yourself in the Hammond Bible Institute. I'd like to encourage some of you. God is talking to you. You need to pick up the phone. He is calling you. You need to surrender and say, okay, I'll do what God wants me to do. I don't know exactly what that will be for you, but some of you precious girls ought to take a class in the Bible Institute because God is trying to work to make all of us to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. If you've not been discipled, you've not gone through discipleship, I hope you'll do that. I hope you will make sure that you will continue to grow in the Lord. Because after we get saved, we do get saved from our sin and we're given eternal life. But that's not the end. That's the starting place. Amen. We need to keep growing in the Lord. And many of you are doing that. A beautiful class of first-time uh, folks that came today to discipleship. And uh, I think maybe 10, 12, 15, some will be there uh, tonight at 5 o'clock over here. Some will be there on Wednesday night. Keep growing, Lord. If you haven't done the discipleship, do it because it leads you to Jesus. Listen, you don't want to serve God for the church. Some people say, well, I'm going to go to church. I want to get my kids. They've got good programs there. Listen, thank God for the programs. What happens if you don't have kids or they move away? Then you'll just stop. Well, I like the pastor. Or I like my Sunday school teacher. I'm going to go to church because they're there. That's a bad reason to go to church <laughs> because they want, they're going to die. They're going to fall off the planet someday. Then what? We don't serve God because of property. We don't serve God because of a program. We serve God because of God. <laughs> but we get to know him through his word. 
And one of the things I love about discipleship, it helps us to know Jesus. And people who go through discipleship and get uh, their basics and, you know, some folks, they get saved and we push them on a bicycle without any handlebars. They have inertia, but they don't know, they don't know the basics. And some folks are in this room, you've been saved 20 years and you don't know the basics. You couldn't tell me two verses on eternal security if your life depended upon it. You don't know. You know you're supposed to get baptized, but you don't know one verse in the Bible that tells us we're supposed to get baptized. You don't know it. You're not a bad person, but you have not figured that out yet. It's because you're not using those muscles. And I want to encourage you to get involved in the study of the Bible. Get involved in discipleship. If you've been discipled, then disciple somebody else. Help them grow in the Lord. Jesus came so he could get into the hearts of those 12 men. If they didn't get it, you and I wouldn't be looking at each other here in Hammond, Indiana this morning. We would not be here if those 12 men, and by the way, Jesus was not 100% successful. One of them probably spends eternity in the lake of fire, Judas. And not everybody takes the journey with you. But boy, all of us ought to want to go through the word of God and live our life holy and committed to Christ. All of us, all the way. Can you say it with me? All of us, everybody living for Jesus until Jesus comes back. That's our goal. But that won't happen if we don't fall in love with Jesus. That doesn't happen because you fall in love with the church. Fall in love with a leader, fall in love with a program, or fall in love with the music, or nah, that's, all that stuff are gifts from God. And when God gives us a gift, you want to stay in love with the giver, not fall in love with the gift. I've had people that God gives them children. After God gives them children, they no longer are faithful to church. They fall in love with the gift instead of the giver. I have people that, well, they got married, and they won the relationship, and they got married, then they no longer are faithful to the Lord. God gave them a gift, and they, they fell in love with the gift instead of the giver. These are things that God's trying to teach us. Now Jesus is 30 years old, and he goes to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist baptizes him. He argues with him first because Je John, Jesus came to John, and he said, I need you to baptize me. He said, I'm not going to baptize. He forbade him. He said, well, you can baptize me. I'm not worthy to unloose your shoestrings. And then Jesus said, no, it's the right thing to do. By the way, if you're not baptized after you've been saved, it's the right thing to do. Don't postpone what you're supposed to do. I, I suggest you do exactly what Jesus did for the reason that Jesus did it. He did it because he knew it was to fulfill all righteousness. And after he got baptized, two things happened. God's spirit came on Jesus as obvious as a bird would fly off a branch and land on his head. It was obvious that God's spirit came on Jesus and the, the voice of God was heard from heaven that day. And it said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So when Jesus got baptized, it pleased the father. By the way, when you get baptized, it will please the father. And that's why we do it, because he wants us to do it. It pleased the father. Jesus got baptized. And after that, the Lord's spirit, the one that came on him, led him into the wilderness led him into the wilderness. The wilderness was a barren place. Usually, they say between Jerusalem and, and Jericho, there was a section there that folks did not spend a lot of time in that region. And it was a time of solitary for Jesus. While he was there, he had an adversarial visitor. Satan had come to him and uh, had attacked him during this time. Those 40 days, almost six weeks, that he was out there in the wilderness, uh, Satan approached him. He came to him maybe throughout the whole time, but especially at the end. 
And he tempted him in the three areas that he tempts me and tempts you. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's exactly how he tempted Eve when he showed her the fruit there in the garden. He said, this fruit is beautiful, lust of the eyes. You can have this. It tastes good. You can enjoy this. You can do this. And if you eat it, it'll make you wise. It'll give you the pride of life. Well, the Lord Jesus would have that same temptation. Satan would come to him. And there's things we can learn in this passage of Scripture that I'm hoping to share with you this morning. Are you with me today? I oftentimes joke around. Some people talk in their sleep. Pastor talks in other people's sleep. And uh, some, someone's a little drowsy. All right, that's fine. I would understand that. But let's look, if we can, to Luke chapter 4, verse number 1. And Jesus, being filled with the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into where? Wilderness. So we find something about Jesus. He has the Spirit of God's filling in him now. The Holy Spirit is in him, especially during this season. And the Bible tells us that uh, he comes upon him and, and the Spirit of God leads him to the wilderness. May I just say to you, sometimes when you are filled with the Spirit of God and you're walking the Spirit, you will go into barren places. You will go through times of loneliness and solitude. I wish to tell you that if you walk with God, you'll never have a problem. But that's not true. The Bible tells us, yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, challenges, misunderstood, being misunderstood. Well, it was the Spirit of God who led him into this barren place. Well, while he was there in the wilderness, let's see what happens. Verse number two, being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. So now he has gone 40 days without eating. No doubt, his eyes probably are sunk back a little deeper in his head. They normally would be. Skin is probably hanging off some of his sinew that has been, been deteriorated because of no nutrition for 40 days. Probably his skin may be pale. And at a weakened point, after not eating for 40 days, being ministered to, no doubt, giving, and by the way, fasting. The reason for fasting is not to impress God. The reason for fasting is to, to afflict the soul, the way you think, the way you feel, and what you want, so that your soul can be more spiritually sensitive to God. Whenever we're hungry, we feed ourselves. When we're tired, we sleep. Whenever we want something, we give what we want. But there is someone else who wants our attention sometimes and needs our attention to carry heavy burdens, to relieve us from afflictions and addictions. Fasting oftentimes will do that. Now, I don't like to fast, and I would assume most of us do not enjoy fasting. It's not an easy thing. When I fast, I oftentimes get headaches. I don't like headaches. But they come, they come, and there's a season where it goes, the longer you go, the more challenging things can happen, and not everyone can do a long, long fast. But I think fasting is a biblical principle, and it needs to be practiced. Probably a little more corporately in our church as well as individually. Uh, there's a lot of things that happen spiritually for a person in fasting. Jesus was that example. He fasted. But after he had finished fasting for 40 days, he was hungry. 
And Satan came at that time. Let's look at the scriptures if we can. Look in verse number four, and or verse three. And, set, and, and the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And we'll find here that every time that Satan challenges Jesus, Jesus takes him to the scriptures. All three of these scriptures are found in the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is the last book of the law. It's the fifth book of your Bible. And it's a reminder from God's man and God himself through Moses to New people who have never, they didn't, they didn't uh, remember the Red Sea. They didn't come, they came out of Egypt, they came out of Egypt, they're just children. And reminding them of truths. And Jesus quoted the book of Deuteronomy numerous times, and this time he does it each time from the book of Deuteronomy as he challenges uh, the devil's attack upon him. Well, he says, uh, he said, if you're hungry, why don't you make this stone bread and eat it? And challenge him with that. And of course, that's a lust of the, that's a lust of the flesh. That's a desire to do, to have, to do something, excuse me. That's, it's in me, it's in you. See, the, each of us have a desire to do, to have more stuff, and to be something. That's innate inside of us. Those three desires, in my opinion, are not wrong altogether, but they can be thwarted. If no one didn't want to do anything or be anything or have anything, we'd all just be blobs. God put inside of you inertia to have something, to do something, and to be something. Little girls grow up, they want to be a mama. They're looking for that one day. By the way, uh, Terrence and Paris Walker just had their fifth boy, Jacoby. <laughs> They've got Jaden and Jordan and and Josiah and Jason, Jacoby, just born on Friday night. We congratulate that sweet family. But little mamas grow up, little girls grow up, they want to be a mama. They want to be a wife. Little men, little boys, you want to be a fireman or a doctor or a policeman or a soldier or a cowboy or something. They want to be something. They, there's something inside of us. When, when we go someplace, well, oftentimes we work because we want to have. If you have an apartment, you're probably thinking, maybe one day I might buy a house. There's nothing wrong with that inertia. However, it is a thing that Satan will oftentimes attack us with and take those things away from, away from godly desires and what God wants for us to something that Satan wants from us. Take it to it and make those things a worship. She had, the Satan attacked Jesus on the lust of the flesh, the desire to do, to have, to eat something. That's normal. But it was a problem here, and he said, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. More than he needed uh, that bread, he needed the word of God, and he, he reminded him about that. Look at the next thing, if you would, please. The Bible says in verse number five, and the devil taking him up into a high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee, and the glory of them that thou deliver unto me, be delivered unto me, whom I will give it. He's the prince and power of the world, and he showed him this. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And, uh, and, this, and then Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship 
the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Here we find that uh, he is challenging him on the desire to have. He said, I'm going to show you all this and you can have it. I'll give it to you. I'm the prince and power of the air, but I'll give this to you and you can have this power. Everything that you see in front of you, all the sparkling lights, all this, I will return over to you if you will worship me. So it's interesting there in the course in that first, first temptation, we find that the, the thing that is he's working on is this, he's famished. He's weakened. This one, he's speaking probably about his failure. Here he is 30 years old. He's the God of heaven, and he's been working with wood. You're a failure. You're not doing what you, what you could have. You're, you could have all of this, and you don't have that. You know, one of the challenges that Satan brings is unfulfilled expectations. If you've been saved very long, you're trying to live for the Lord. And I saw this with the Canadian pastors, and many of them are so isolated. And they feel like a failure. They feel like a failure. And boy, Satan brings that to your attention and to my attention many times. Feels like, man, if you, you should be farther along this. You should be a different place now. Hey, if you'll worship me, I'll give this to you. You know, many people forfeit the blessings of God because of a desire that's unfulfilled. They'll chase things. And Satan loves to play upon our failures upon our, our need for, 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 um, for um, desires of things to do, things to have. Look at the next one, if you would, please, and I'll make some comments and we'll conclude today. Verse number nine, and then he brought him to the temple and set him in the pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, if thou be the son of God. And by the way, remember this. He, he capitalizes on this. And remember, the last thing that Jesus heard from his father publicly was this is my beloved son in whom I am. So he heard that from the father. And when Satan opens his big mouth, he says, if thou be the son of God. He capitalizes on the very thing. And by the way, wherever God puts a period, Satan wants to put a question mark. He's the sinister minister of doubt, confusion, fear. Whenever you have fear in your heart, that didn't come from God. The Bible says God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power. Doubt is another area that Satan will continue to do. When he approached Eve in the garden, he said, Yea, hath God said. Questioning God's word, questioning God's goodness, questioning God's grace to him. Boy, that devil does not let him. He has the same tactics he's had for, for 6,000 years. He just keeps using them over and over on us. And we should, that's why the, Paul said, look, we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. We can understand how he uses and what he's doing. And the Lord Jesus, each time, he said, now he takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple. It's maybe on that, on that where Solomon's porch was, but it was, a, it was a, maybe looking to the Kedron Valley, potentially on that western side. And, and, and he says, here, he takes him up there. He said, why don't you, you know how important you are, appealing to the pride of life. He said, you're so important. And he quotes Psalms 91. Do you think the devil might know a little bit of the Bible? Probably knows a little more than we know. Now, he doesn't quote it accurately, he leaves out a very important part of it. You can look back and see that because he doesn't say that he'll keep you in all thy ways. He said, look, you got a pinnacle here? 
jump off. You know what the Bible says, that his, he'll give his angels charge of you, lest you dash your foot up against a stone. He won't even let you die if you wanted to die. Go ahead, jump off. You know why people commit suicide? Large in part because of satanic temptation. Take their life. You know why people overdose? While they go into, oftentimes it's satanically, Satan is a murderer. He likes to kill, steal, and destroy. So why don't you just jump off? You know what the Bible says. You're not going to even hit your foot against a stone. And then, of course, he quotes the scripture in Deuteronomy, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. And Satan leaves him. So you see that he does that. And, of course, here we find that he, uh, he, 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 he tests him in the word of God, what the Bible says, and makes him think as though he's forgotten. He's not important. All of us have that inside of us from time to time. It's been a long time since someone patted you on the back and praised you. You've been raising those kids by yourself, single mom. You've been working through a situation, and it seems like it's not getting better. It's getting worse. You've done a lot of things with the Lord and for the Lord. You've watched the nursery. You've, you've played on instruments. You've done this, and it just seems like no one even admires you. You've made meals for people that are sick and going through difficult times, but it seems like all they do is just ask you again to do the same thing. No one says thank you. The other day I had the opportunity, and, and, I, and this is not, not any. Uh, I, I just thought about this. I, there were several people that were asked to be helped, and it's just, it just sad to see that oftentimes the people that, that you help, they're not appreciative. We can enter into God's world that way, can't we? He gives us so many things, we don't even bother to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you that I didn't have that accident back there. Thank you, Lord, that I have something uh, to eat. I have a place to live. I have so many things that other people don't, to weep and sigh because I don't have something. I should not and I won't, in the words of Fanny Crosby, reminding us, goodness, he's been so good to us in ingratitude, a lack of contentment. But Satan appeals to the fact that he was famished, that he considered him a failure and, and he's been forgotten by God. And each time our Lord Jesus sets a standard for us, go back to the scriptures. Go back to the scriptures. Let's see what happens when he went back to the scripture. Would you look at verse number 12? And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all temptations, would you read the rest of it with me? He departed from him. I want to share with you just a couple thoughts in closing quickly. Would you listen to me? Would you, we've, we've kind of gone through the passage. This is nothing unfamiliar to most of you. It's found in Matthew chapter 4. Mark chapter 1, verse 13, just summarizes that he went through a wilderness of temptation. But these two passages, Matthew 4 and Luke 4, tell us the temptation of the Lord Jesus. A couple of things we can observe from this temptation. First of all, Satan's temptations are seasonal. Are seasonal. He left him for a season. There's different times in your life when you will be tempted more severely than others. By the way, if you're not living for the Lord, you probably have less temptation than someone who has been living for the Lord. You would not, if you were a thief, you probably wouldn't go and rob some poor family. You'd going to rob somebody who had something. You'd go to a nicer neighborhood. 
If you're going to steal a car, you probably, and by the way, don't ever do any of the stuff I'm talking about. But if you're still a car, you're probably not driving around looking for a Ford Pinto or a Pacer from 1978. You're probably not looking for some uh, Datsun B210 from 1974. No, you're looking for something that's nice. You know, when the devil comes and he wants to pillage and destroy, he's probably going to be looking at someone who has his grace and his faithfulness inside of them. He, can, he can, has a lot more to lose. If, if someone says, well, you know, I don't, get, I don't get bothered by the devil, you're not living for God. <laughs> because the higher the stakes, I was talking to a dear pastor in recent days, and he has gone through some unbelievable challenges in his ministry. I'm not kidding you. I'm not sure if I had those same challenges, I, would have, I don't know what I would have done. But he needs the grace of God. And one of the things I, I, I surmise, because he's in a very strategic place, the stakes are high where he's at, especially high. A lot of souls weigh in the balance. And when I hear some of the things that he is facing, at the very, at the very least, they're satanic. And I thought to myself, why? Because the stakes are high, Satan is going to be attacking that. Because there's a lot more to lose on his end and a lot more to gain on God's end. You ever wonder why it's so difficult? Sometimes it's hard to get people to live for the Lord. Some of you precious folks, your Sunday school teachers. And by the way, everybody ought to be teaching the Bible or helping someone teach the Bible. If you've got a Sunday school teacher, help to fill that room. Help to encourage that teacher. We ought to do all we can to make it a, good, a, better, a better class and pray and visit and write notes and encourage friends to come and be a part of the solution, not a part of a problem. But when the stakes are high, you know, but Satan's Temptations are seasonal. He comes hard. Also, I want you to notice about this. Satan brings temptation in the early spiritual uh, infancies. You know, Jesus is getting ready to start his earthly ministry. And the devil is a master of infant fatality. When someone first gets saved, that's why discipleship is so needed. Because they need the attention and love because Satan is going to come fighting. Jesus is getting ready to start his earthly ministry. Satan gave his hardest temptation early on. Because the devil is a master at infant fatality. Pharaoh killed the babies. Herod killed babies in Jesus' time. And it's just satanic. I, I cannot believe the effort and energy this world is putting to make, of all of our world's problems, they want to have the right to kill babies. Abortion gets so, in an election cycle, of all things we got problems in America and all over the world, they want to fight to kill an infant. Something's wrong there. Something's satanic there. You can't even, you, you can't make this stuff up. The things in the, the realm, they're kind of glad that Roe versus Wade got reported because they want it even elevated beyond that. It gets the attention, and they can get people, they can make it a, a, a reason, and boy, we're indoctrinated to think that a baby is, doesn't matter. It's unbelievable, but it's satanic. But Satan's strategy is to kill the baby. When the baby's young, when things are getting started with that new marriage, that, that, that new stage of ministry, that new church plant, that new believer, get them. Attack them hard, especially in the early stages. 
I think also we can learn from this that even in seasons where you feel like you've got strong character, holy character, Satan still will whack away at you. Some of us feel like, you know what? I tell you, I'm as close to God. Guess who else was close to God when this happened? Jesus. Peter says it like this, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking to be made devout. Now, he will chase and have more success with the weak ones who don't read their Bible, don't attend church, or not faithful to the Lord. He'll have some success with you. He'll have success with the wondering ones, the ones who do their own thing. They get away from the flock of God. They get out from underneath the authorities of their parents and, and, their, and their spiritual authorities of God. He'll, he'll, he'll have his heyday with them. He'll attack the weak ones and the wounded ones. Those who have a root of bitterness, they've had something bad happen to them, and they've used that as an excuse of bitterness. He'll attack them. He'll attack the weary ones, folks who are just, they're going and blowing, but not staying at the feet of Jesus. They're busy, but they're barren. He'll attack them too. But if you're holy and you're, you're, you're clicking on all cylinders spiritually, beware. He'll attack you too. Times of solitary. You know, Jesus was not in the world. He was taking six weeks away from the world. He was separated. Even separated Christians can fall into condemnation and temptation. You know, throughout the ministry of Jesus, he told the disciples, watch and pray that you enter not into what? Boy, watching and praying is a very important thing. Being aware that I am a hunted person. And pray. You see, Pastor, why is prayer so important? It's one of your major defenses against satanic attack. Praying always with all prayer and supplication that you can stand and having done all to stand in the world. Some of us, we don't like to pray. We don't like the prayer time at church. We don't spend time in prayer at home. And we wonder why we're getting lambasted and falling at every small temptation to lose our temper, to go into an addiction, to, to, uh, to have a filthy thought or things. Those are things can come to anyone, but especially when we fail to pray. We'll say also in closing that after spiritual highs, Satan oftentimes brings attack. I've seen this happen enough times, not because I've had a lot of spiritual highs, but after special days, when we pray, we seek the Lord, we have a missions conference, something good happens, Satan loves to come at those times. And you just need to understand it. You don't need to worry about it. You don't need to be fearful about it, but you understand that's his MO. That's how he works. He oftentimes gets us whenever we have a stronger opportunity to serve the Lord. He attacks. These are some things I think we can learn. Today, I think all of us ought to say, God, please deliver me from temptation. I can't handle sin. I can't even handle the temptation to sin. I don't think anybody in their right mind would put their face and say, devil, I'm going to beat you. No, no, don't, don't, don't do that. You want to deliver, deliver any battles against Satan to the one who, can, who has him on a choke chain. But we want to be aware and vigilant and prayerful and dependent upon the Lord. But we also need to understand things about Satan 
and his temptation against us. Why don't we ask God today, Lord, please keep me right. You know one of the ways you can help yourself keep from falling is when you remember how wonderful it is to be God's child. When you know how wonderful it is, you'll, be, you'll, you'll not be barren. You'll be able to see things as they are. And you're not going to fall. If you're here today and you're not sure you are God's child, could I encourage you to come and let someone take the Bible and show you how you could be God's child? The very best day of my life, someone took a Bible and showed me from the Bible how I could know for sure that my sin was forgiven. Nothing more frustrating than trying to live the Christian life without Christ. Some of you might be trying to do that. You know you're not saved. God knows you're not saved. You're letting pride and procrastination keep you from coming to know the Lord. You have no aptitude for God. You have no aptitude for spiritual things. It's a have to and not a get to. Because maybe the Spirit of God's not on the inside of you. Or maybe you're just away from God. If you're away from God, He hasn't moved. He's ready and He's not far from you. You can come right back to Him. And you can have the victory against your enemy, the devil, the world, and the flesh.